0: LegalizeFreedom.com
1: Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Sarah Janes, who joins us to discuss her book, Initiation into Dream Mysteries, Drinking from the Pool of Nemesis. Most people tend to regard their dreams as possessing little or no significance, randomly generated mind movies which sometimes feature people, places and events from their daily lives. Others, however, imbue dreams with utmost significance, seeing within them profound reflections and understanding of waking reality. The latter approach is certainly closer to how humanity has interpreted dreams throughout recorded history. It is apparently only in recent times, as militant materialism has become the dominant paradigm, that dreams have been relegated to the same backwater as consciousness itself, mere epiphenomena of a purely biological brain. But things are changing, as cutting-edge consciousness research and advances in quantum physics continue to reveal a fundamentally interconnected cosmos, levels of reality beyond the five-sense three-dimensional, such as the dream space, are beginning to reassert their importance in our so-called waking lives. At the same time, however, dreams are in danger. The all-pervasive electromagnetic fields of modern technology and toxicity from diet, drugs, legal or otherwise, and the wider environment are rapidly diminishing both the conscious and subconscious mental capacities of millions. Initiation into dream mysteries, therefore, is a timely wake-up call for us all. Hello and welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com.
0: Thanks for having me, Greg.
1: Sarah, today we're going to be discussing uh, your book, uh, Initiation into Dream Mysteries, drinking from the pool of something that you're just about to pronounce for me and tell me about. Uh, So, yeah, explain that and just give us a little potted bio for listeners who uh, haven't encountered you before.
0: So it's the pool of drinking from the pool of Mnemosyne, who's the personification of remembrance. She's an ancient Greek titaness, and she is the goddess of memory, of eloquence, of um, eruditeness. She's also the mother of all of the muses. So she's the sort of original source of inspiration. And she is the daughter of Gaia, Earth and Uranos, Heaven. So I've been interested in lucid dreaming ever since I was a kid. I loved lucid dreaming as a child. I can remember really early dreams I had. So it's kind of been a ongoing theme and motif throughout my life. And then uh, just sort of over the decades, I've done, been doing lots of research. I've always kind of followed dream themes and motifs. I love dream films and art, um, anything to do with dreams, anything to do with dreams. I tend to like pick up books about dreams and watch films that are about dreams and I love surreal art and magical realism and all these kinds of things and then in the last maybe 15 years I've been researching the culture of um sleep temples in particular in Greece and Egypt and the ancient Near East and so this book is the kind of fruit of that research I guess so trying to track to some extent, chronologically, the evolution of the dream as a form of medicine or a cure in the um, Western esoteric tradition.
1: Now, I've said in many interviews that I've done on many topics, uh, well, I've I've mentioned my early experience of dreaming as a child and talking to adults about this, um, particularly if I had a dream that was disturbing in some way. And I remember the adult's response so clearly basically saying, like, it's not real. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I had an experience last night when I slept. I dreamt I had an experience. In what way is that somehow not real? And in later years, it occurred to me that my fascination with dreaming when I was a child was the first indication to me that the three-dimensional five-sense reality that you and I, for example, are occupying right now isn't all there is. At, at the very least, there was this dream space mm. uh, and the laws of time and space went out the window there as well. So I thought, well, that that is real in this in any way you like to spell real. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'd, the signs that you had a similar experience with, with lucid dreaming. Now, that's not something I think I've ever experienced. The closest I think I've come to that is relatively recently. If I was in a dream phase that I did not like, I've learned to stop it. I've just by saying stop in my dream I say stop and then I'm out of it so and on some level I'm aware I'm dreaming but I'm not sure if that's uh if that's lucid
0: I think lucidity is really a sort of spectrum and um even the the term lucidity is not necessarily um a, a brilliantly accurate description of the experience I think that you can have lucid dreams where you're aware of the fact that you're dreaming. You can have lucid dreams where you can control and completely change and create new new dream scenes and new dream characters and new dream things. Um, And then people have lucid nightmares as well. In fact, a lot of children, as you were saying about um having nightmares and unpleasant dreams, learn to become lucid because they learn to either stop um nightmares or to become aware in the nightmare and change the scenery so that's how lucid experiences do start for a lot of kids and I think my feeling with um dreaming as a child was not necessarily that it was uh, real but that it gave me the sense of some time space as you say being malleable and that that could even potentially transfer into waking reality as well because with dreams you definitely get this sense that the material world of the dream is malleable and will change and morph um in response to your will and desire or your own imagination so i always really loved that aspect of lucid dreaming the fact that you can kind of manifest what you want in the dream space i thought was a really kind of gave you a sort of feeling of omnip- omnipotence and power in, in dreaming
1: you know as a as a student of what's generally called new thought, it occurs to me, or occurred to me a long time ago, and this is something that I've tried to apply to my, my life, my waking mm. life, is that like what I uh, for, aforementioned three-dimensional five-sense reality uh, that, that we're occupying is actually a lot more malleable than we believe it to be, has a lot more in common with uh, the dream space. I don't really see the two things as separate at all.
0: No, I think you're right. It's interesting what you say about the new thought idea and this idea of law of attraction and manifesting things that you want into your own reality. And I think dreams are a perfect kind of incubatory realm to get the ball rolling on that front, because, you know, especially if you're able to fall into a dream from a state of wakefulness so that you don't um lose that kind of thread of consciousness You become aware of the fact that as you're kind of drifting through your hypnagogic reverie, that whatever you're thinking about, um, whatever you start to, um, to move with in terms of scenery and action and objects in the dream space become part of this dream reality once you're in a dream proper. So I think that dreams are a really good tool for working that kind of, um, law of attraction, manifestation magic. Definitely.
1: No, I think we all, experience having things show up in dreams that are part of our waking life. What about the other way round? Because further to what I was saying, I've certainly, I remember really clearly this would have been in the late 1980s, having persons appear as yet unknown to me Mm. in a dream. And I desired to have, you know, repeat the experience of that dream. So I was able to go in a subsequent occasion to Almost like you know, regenerates uh, that dream uh, space, go back into that, and then what I felt to be, what seemed to me to be, this person showed up in real life, as it were, not point for point, but it was kind of like, hang on a minute, this is this is the person from the dream that the dream that I t- deliberately repeated, as it were, or seemed to deliberately uh, remanifest.
0: Well, I think that's why I find um ancient dream culture so interesting because there's a real emphasis on dreams being keys to discovering the future, which I think hints at a kind of view of reality that is quite reliable in a lot of ways. Because although you do get dreams used as a kind of narrative device and uh, technique to, like in the ancient world, dreams were considered super important. So you see a lot of these Dreams in ancient texts or ancient inscriptions that will be stories of divine entities conveying kingship, for example, on certain pharaohs or kings. And so in that instance, the dream validates a particular pharaoh or king's claim to any throne. So you can see how the dream is considered to be this, like, divine guarantee of, um, sovereignty or for proof and evidence of the gods, if they appear to you in a dream, that you're legitimately, um, given certain roles or given certain powers. And, um, in ancient Egyptian dream interpretation in particular, there's definitely this idea that dreams reveal the future. And, you know, it's difficult for us to imagine, but, because most dream interpretation these days and dream analysis is about what does the dream mean about a person? What does a dream mean about your personality or your experience or your trauma or whatever it is. But in the ancient world, the dreams were always about what does this mean about your future? So I think that that, you know, dreams are amazing because certainly in the case of sort of ordinary dream accounts and ordinary dream interpretations, um, there's a real kind of veracity in dream texts because they're true and they reveal a lot about the kind of thinking of the day as well. So there was definitely this idea that dreams could um, contain the future and reveal the future. And I think to me this, you know, I think dreams are the most interesting Avenue in terms of consciousness science as well. And they do appear to occur in this timeless realm as well. So, I think there's something of the collective consciousness in the dream space at times where you have access to more information than your waking mind can process. I mean, even within dreams, you have things like, um, omnipotent vision and you can see close up and far away at the same time. You can see from multiple perspectives. So there's this real different way of experience experiencing dream space. So I think there's, there's a lot of kind of interesting aspects to that that definitely i think are areas that consciousness science should be investigating a bit more thoroughly than they are dreams get neglected a little bit and there's a lot of interest understandably in psychedelics doing that kind of thing where they um they soften the default mode network, and they make us have this kind of broad and more open-minded um, experience of the world. Maybe even synesthetic—you know—a synesthetic understanding of reality, and maybe dreams return us to that kind of synesthetic experience of place and time.
1: Yeah, I mentioned earlier about the, the sense that I had when I was very young that reality and time and space and these not being fundamental. I felt like it, the, the dream was revealing to me something uh, more uh, in the ground of reality, and it was in in dreaming that I first also had the sense of an interconnected order in all things. You know uh, that reality is like self organizing. I could the patterns and the design that are apparently, for example, in nature in the world around us that there was something there was, that there was meaning and purpose in all of this was revealed to me uh, in dreams. Again, that that the consciousness that was the, the the mediator for dreams was in fact fundamental, and not that time and space almost seemed like because the, their laws were violated so readily in the dream space that they were they were seen as just uh, in, entirely incidental, just functions of a, a, a narrow reality that we just happen to be experiencing experiencing right now.
0: Yeah, I think dreams. One of the reasons I was so into dreaming as a kid was that I thought that if I could, like, nail lucid dreaming and lucid dream all the time, then I would transcend death when that came along, that it would enable me to kind of consciously go into the next life or to experience it. I was really into the film. Have you ever watched Brainstorm?
1: Um, Yes, that's one of my favourite films, actually. It's it's incredible. I mean, it's another one of these things that's uh, necessarily by the studio, I suppose, spun as kind of like – in a certain way, you know, a dramatic way, but you start thinking about the different levels of the, the concepts in there. It is uh, mind blowing.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it really got me thinking as a kid, you know, when you kind of, you think you've got all these, um, niche interests that you've cultivated, um, over a lifetime or avenues of learning that you've pursued. And then quite often you discover, Oh, I just got it all from this film that I saw in the eighties. Like my whole life can be like, uh reduced down to watching a lot of 80s films or whatever. But Brainstorm, I loved the idea of that. So it's the idea that this woman invents a machine that can record thoughts feelings and experiences and it's about like being able to give another person somebody else's thoughts feelings and experiences and sensations and then she she is dying and she accidentally dies on the machine has a heart attack I think and so someone is able to experience her experience of dying afterwards and I just I really found it fascinating brainstorm and um And it was one of those things that inspired me to think about if you can maintain that consciousness of experience as you are transitioning, because in a lot of cultures, there's this idea that you should have a good death, you know, you should die consciously and not feeling terrified and, um, be aware of of what's happening to you, and I think something similar i mean in, in across culturally, there's very much this idea that there are parallels between dreaming and dying um in in the Buddhist tradition in the ancient Egyptian tradition um it's in a lot of different cultures this this sort of parallel
1: Christopher Walken is in brainstorm. am I remembering yeah. that correctly now there's another film that had a deep effect on me based on the Stephen King story. And off the top of my head, I, I'm a bit of a culture vulture and I can't stand not forget, uh, not remembering things. The movie being discussed is The Dead Zone, directed by David Cronenberg. He, yeah, he foresees uh, a US president starting a nuclear war. So he there, therefore decides to go out and he need, knows that he has to kill the president to stop this happening. But d- does that trigger any memories with you? Can you remember what the film's called?
0: Dreamscape.
1: No, it's a 1980s film based on a um, Stephen King story, and I just can't remember what the hell it is. But Christopher Walken's a star on it.
0: Yeah, I can't remember. The Dreamscape is also pretty good, though. That is where they're working in a lab to get people to enter into others' nightmares and help them resolve their nightmares with um, psychic powers.
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure we could do an entire show based on uh, you know <laughs> dr- dream dreams in in popular culture, uh, but. Speaking about culture, actually, now, I've got a quote here, and tell me if this is from your book, because I I, I wrote this down a few weeks ago, uh, but it's it's really thinking about where we are now, uh, in terms Mm. of, you know, the early 21st century. I say early, I mean, my God, how many years are we into it? Here we go. Quote, when the force of cosmic consciousness is weak, when we are cut off from the divine dimension of life, humans become confused. We contrive ever new complex Artificial ways to seek joy, to give life value, and to find some meaning within it. And I, I've written and spoken about this so many times. I really think that that's where we do find ourselves now in our in our, in our contemporary culture. And the dreaming dimension for me has something to say to this. Personal for me personally, if I find myself in life in on how shall I put it the wrong path. That's Mm -hmm. where that's where feedback is is given to me in the dream space. And I awake with a knowing of, you know, having received a message It's like, yes, I should do this. I should not do that.
0: Yeah, I I wonder about the uh, impact of the sort of current culture of especially social media and devices on on dreams themselves. Like I think that they actually destroy meaningful good dreams. Um, not just because the amount of light you're exposed to diminishes your sort of optimal circadian rhythmic function, but also because of the lack of quality in the imagery and the narrative and the artfulness of the images that you're taking in and the stories that you're taking in. If you think about sort of scrolling through an Instagram feed or TikTok, it's just so bland and banal and uninteresting. And yet it's utterly addictive. And I think there is something about being addictive, addicted to the kind of light and the motion. And I wrote about this in my book a little bit. This idea of there's something about looking at social media and the rapid up and eye, up and down eye movements that you make when you're scrolling that is very similar to how you, how you experience trauma physically when you're in a traumatized state you are looking you are kind of trying not to look too much in broad open sweeping left to right movements you're sort of panic looking at something and your movements of your eyes are moving up and down really rapidly and in emdr which is this um eye movement therapy to help integrate process relieve trauma um, you have to retrain yourself to not make those traumatic eye movements. So I think we're sort of weirdly accidentally traumatizing ourselves, um, every day by looking at social media in the way that we do. And I wonder whether I actually think virtual reality might be better for dreaming and the quality of dream content because it's a more natural, immersive experience of art and culture to be, to feel immersed in it and to look, have an experience of sort of depth of field. So, um, so yeah, I think that could be an interesting forward um, development for our culture and that virtual reality might actually be quite conducive to dreaming and lucid dreaming.
1: Mm, yeah, that's something that, uh, again, we could probably spend a couple of hours on. I have grave concerns about developments in that direction, reflecting a lot of what you just said about electronic media and our sort of 24-7 immersion in this, in, in a sort of a media matrix and um, electronic sound and light, but mm. again, that might have to keep for another day. But the phrase "dreams are in danger." I don't know if that again is straight from your book. I find in conversations that I have with people who are a lot younger than myself, for example, a, a generation younger or beyond, mm-hmm. that they have less how may, however many words you want to pull out of the dictionary less interest less engagement they see less significance in their dreaming experience it seems to be ever more incidental but as i mentioned at the top of the hour it was something that, that to me uh when i was young as this has continued throughout my life um, was of incredible significance and importance and something that could occupy most of my thoughts for 24 hours after the experience but that seems to be for whatever reason, some some of the things that you hinted at perhaps, but for whatever reason, whatever reason seems to be um, in, in decline.
0: Yeah, I think that that's true. I get a lot of people coming to workshops that don't remember their dreams at all or they dream that they're just at work all day or they dream that actually looking at their phone, scrolling through Instagram. Um, it's interesting to see what kind of items from material culture start getting into dreams. I find that interesting. So lots of people have phone based dreams now, which is pretty dull. And the the interesting thing about uh, you know, if you watch, you know, as kids, we watch a lot of TV and films, but TV and films, although you're still looking at a screen, you kind of immerse yourself in the imaginative world. You don't do that when you're looking at social media. So it still remains very much on the kind of surface. So it manifests in the dream state as a device, not as a A sensory immersion. Whereas if you watch a lot of films, you'll have dreams that are inspired by those films. So you'll find yourself in the world of the film or in a version of the film. And even if, um, it might not be immediately recognizable as that film, there'll be elements of it that, you know, if you write it down in particular, you can see that it has been inspired by the films that you've watched. So social media in particular is very is really bad for dreams in terms of quality and content and I think you need good quality and content in order for a dream to be meaningful and to feel feel worth worth getting interested about you know like you were saying a lot of people don't really think about their dreams they're not very meaningful to them but when you do have a really meaningful dream and this is the thing I also like about um this appreciation for dreams in the ancient world is there was this distinction between kind of ordinary dreams, mundane human dreams and divine dreams in which you encountered a divine being or you had a revelation about the future or you went to the realm of the dead. There was very much this sense that dreams were a portal into some other realm. And that realm was where gods and goddesses and divine beings and the deceased also existed.
1: Yeah, the dream sphere seems to me uh, in all the the... the- study that I've done around consciousness research and ideas about the fundamental nature of reality, the dream space seems to have something in common with pre-life and, and post-life. You know what I mean? Like life beyond life as it were.
0: Yeah. Almost bit, well, you know, babies spend an extraordinary amount of time in REM sleep. And I think they're kind of laying the foundations for their personality. And probably it is a um transitioning process, as you say, going from that pre-life consciousness to post life consciousness, you know, as in baby in babyhood, you you dream for eight hours out of every twenty four, which is um, is a huge amount in comparison with grown adults. So uh, there there definitely is a requirement of dreaming. Dreaming seems to be fundamental in terms of knowing and developing into an individual.
1: You have a daughter. What do you talk about in terms of uh, her dream experience? Like, I don't know if you've talked to her about dreaming from when she was very young until until the present day. I'd just be interested uh, to hear about that in the light of what we've been talking about with uh, you know, the quote-unquote younger generation.
0: Indy's very... My daughter's called Indy, and she's very old school, actually. She's sort of like an 80s child. She's got like an old cassette walkman. She doesn't really go on her phone very much, and she just seems to have... Um, chosen to be like that she's an only child and maybe that's got something to do with it she doesn't sort of feel like she has to go off into her room and go on her devices she's she likes making stuff she's into kind of 80s culture and films so I think that influences her dreams and we do talk about dreaming and lucid dreaming and I try like doing um lucid dream incubation techniques with her and things like that but she's yeah it's it was really fun because for ages she was telling me she didn't have interest in dreams or she couldn't remember her dreams and then when she started to have lucid dreams she got really excited about it so I think that's the thing with lucid dreaming is you just need one experience to inspire you and then they do you know you you then know what a lucid dream feels like and so it's easier to get back to that place again.
1: Yeah it's not something that I've actively tried to Incubate. Maybe I I need to, to to be more proactive if I wanted to start lucid dreaming. I'm an only child as well, and I, I, what you just said does resonate with me on a number of levels. Now, in a lot of your book, you're talking about previous civilizations, um, how human how humans uh, were different in the past, how our experience of reality differed in millennia gone by, and. In the light of what we were talking about with our modern civilization, it seems that whether it's from dreams or, you know, earth energies or going back to a time when there was much less sound and light and distortion in the natural environment than there is now, that our perception of reality was different. and perhaps there's something that's kind of blocking that now that's getting in the way of it, whether it be dreams or any other sort of experience of sensitivity.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point about this idea, this sort of division of light and darkness. And now there is really no division. And when you look into the ancient cultures of Egypt and the near East about the night, the night was this sort of special, dangerous time where human beings were vulnerable to the creatures and the entities of night, darkness, and chaos. So it would completely have changed your experience of dreaming. And especially, you know, I think culture crafts consciousness to an extent. So depending on the material culture of the time, the religious thoughts, feelings, philosophies of the time, definitely perception is, um, malleable in that in different environments so for example something like um in the ancient near east people believed that the stars were gods they were divine beings and just imagining really genuinely believing and feeling that you can see how your perception of the world and the cosmos would be completely different so I like that's one of my favorite things about doing this research is trying to get myself into the mindset um of stripping away like everything I I think I know as a modern human being and trying to really inhabit that space of believing that the universe is full of living, luminous, divine beings.
1: So we were talking about the sort of deleterious effects of the technological environment, sort of the electromagnetic soup that we all live in. Uh, relative to our subconscious uh, unconscious life Uh, in fact also collective consciousness there's the phrase sleep hygiene which is appears in your book i'm not sure if that's your own or whether that's something that's that already existed but it also made me think about other dimensions which may or may not be relevant to dreaming i'd be very interested to have your thoughts on this in terms of toxicity Diets, drugs, alcohol, not just the electromagnetic soup, you know, but all the other things that we kind of that are part of how we exist uh, as humans in the in the twenty first century. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com.
0: Legalizefreedom.com